Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm talking with Stephen James, who is probably best known for his suspense thrillers, uh, but his latest book, Synapse, uh, sort of moves into that realm of sci-fi speculative fiction. So, Stephen, just to, just to start off a two-part question for you, uh, can you tell listeners what Synapse is all about, and then also kind of how this story came to be? Well, this is actually, it's a near-future thriller, so it takes place 30 years from now when machines have consciousness, free will, and self-awareness. And I really started thinking about this idea. I've always loved science fiction stories, near-future stories, and stuff like that. And a lot of them deal with artificial intelligence, but I started thinking, what would it be like to have artificial belief? Like, once machines have free will... What will they choose to believe? And so at first it started out as, I guess, sort of an introspection, uh, introspective look through the eyes of a robot at some of these questions. But since I'm a writer of thrillers and suspense, it turned into a pretty high action chase thriller story uh, where these questions end up coming up naturally throughout the book. Okay. Uh, when you were when you were writing through this, did you like obviously this is different than um, most of the books you've written before. Was the writing process, the researching process any different uh, than say from a Patrick Bowers thriller? It was a little different in the sense that I had to um, speculate what things would be like in the future. I mean, I did lots of research on futurism and trends in technology, trying to establish what society will really look like in you know 30 years. Uh, with all of my other books, they're all contemporary. And so although I I still would try to guess, because when you write a book, actually, by the time you finish it, it might be a year before it actually releases. So even with those, I was trying to anticipate what the future might bring as far as technology and so on. But this was even more challenging. 30 years from now, will people use cell phones? Mm-hmm. How will, you know, how will... Um, the rise in um, human population affect the shape of cities here in the U.S. or all of these questions. So it was really uh, it was really intriguing, and uh, especially uh, you know from someone who uh, just tries to keep up with technology as it turns every day to try and think where will things be in 30 years. It was challenging. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, in your in your research, did you find the the you know was there anything that really surprised you in terms of like you know, when we, when we talk like cell phone technology, we can kind of see, we can project where that's going to go. Um, and, you know, in terms of a lot of current technologies, we, we can kind of say, this is what we have now. This is kind of where we're headed in the future. We can kind of project it out a little bit, have some idea of what it is. Was there anything that you ran across in your research that you were like, wow, I was not expecting this. This is completely new ground. I'm trying to think back to, you know, some of the articles and and futurism research and stuff that I had looked at. And some of the things that really surprised me weren't so much what is coming down the line, but some of the stuff that's actually happening, you know, today. Mm -hmm. Like the European Union has had to address the idea of machines or uh, people who want to marry their robots, Mm -hmm. want to marry their machines. So that's already happening. Um, Also, people who... In the future, in my book, some people will replace body parts with artificial ones in order to have enhancements. And so it's um, they're called plusers in the book, and they might have an arm amputated so that they could have, 
you know, um, an artificial arm that's much stronger implant. That's happening today, even as, and so it was, you know, it was a little surprising whereas I thought some of this stuff won't be coming down the, until far down the line, but then I, the more I looked at it, some of these trends are happening and being addressed right now already. Yeah, you can already see it. So I guess before we yeah. get too far in, um, just for anyone who hasn't already read the book, just listen to this podcast, uh, can you just give him sort of a brief overview, just a, a synopsis of Synapse, if you can say that <laughs> three times fast? Well, actually, there's um, a woman, Kestrel Hathaway, who is a minister and faces a real tragedy, personal tragedy, early in the book, and then witnesses a terrorist attack and so while she's trying to work through her own personal issues, she um, ends up having to try and stop a future terrorism attack along with Jordan, her robot, and a counterterrorism agent named Nick Vernon. And so they kind of go beneath the radar in order to do this because she has contacts that she used to know who are in, uh, I would say, the domestic terrorism realm. And, um, and so she ends up being... The contact that um, Nick has to do has to use to try and reach and stop these terrorists. Mm-hmm. So that that sort of serves as the you know, the basis of the book. That that is the impetus for yeah, everything that comes after that. You have this very personal element with Kestrel and her loss. Uh, you honestly have a very personal element. Uh, you, you would think it impersonal, but a very personal element with with Jordan, her robot uh, called an artificial. Uh, as well with sort of the loss that he feels um, and these memories that he has he's not sure if they're real Uh, but then you also have sort of the bigger picture playing out as well in terms of this terrorist attack uh, and how society as a whole is also dealing with many of these same issues that we're seeing personally played out specifically between uh, Kestrel and her loss and Jordan the artificial and his loss um, was there a sense of like I want to compare these two to really try to bring humanity to who Jordan is? Well, the idea of really bringing humanity to it—it's a good question. You know, I wanted Kestrel's story to be very intimate mm-hmm. and also um, not feel. I mean, the story happens in the future, but it's not. There aren't aliens and spaceships and everything. It's it's very close to our world today, except there are technological advances that we haven't yet encountered. Uh, and so I really didn't want to turn people off or say, oh, I don't like science fiction or something right, right. like that, you know. But, but so it's a real intimate story with her. And then, as you mentioned with Jordan, he has this sense of loss. Um, he had a previous owner that ended up taking her own life, and he allowed her to die. And now he regrets that decision, and he wishes that he had stopped it, even though she'd made clear to him that she wanted, in that case – she didn't want him in that case to help her. And so he's trying to find actually forgiveness for, for his moral choice. And Kestrel is trying to find hope and kind of her shattered view of God's goodness in the sense of what she's lost at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I, I found it very interesting that Jordan uh, was supposed to have his memories erased. You know, if, yeah. if everything had gone well, he would not have remembered any of this. He would not have remembered the loss that he had gone through. And if that had happened, there probably wouldn't have been a story here. <laughs> uh, 
so that that you know that that's key remembering remembering loss remembering pain is key um and i i think that ends up being a pretty important theme to helping kestrel understand her own loss and learn from it and move forward you know for me when i approach books i always look for questions to drive the story forward and it's interesting when people notice you know, themes and, and so on in my stories are like, I hadn't even really thought through that exactly. And that, you know, from that perspective. And so, you know, with this story, one of the questions was really like, um, how can you, if you were an artificial or a robot, find forgiveness? And is it something that they will seek one day once they become self-aware? Uh, and so these were some of the questions, you know, that I was thinking about really, as I wrote the story and, um, so yeah, no, it's insightful to you uh, for for you to to identify different themes in the story, but maybe I'm not smart enough to know what those <laughs> are when I start writing books. Yeah, you just write what I think. I think though that if you just write what comes to you, then some of those things play out naturally. Yeah, um, it's a you know it's a smaller question. It's a part of that larger question. Uh, and a part of the larger story, then you know, with the terrorist attack, it there's there's basically there's there's two um i'll say ex there's at least one extremist faction but there, there's two different sides to this there are purists who sort of disavow any sort of technology um whatsoever to a certain extent i guess uh and then there there's the plusers who are augmented with technology so there, it, it is sort of like humanity exists a little bit on the spectrum of completely organic completely human and then you have your androids, your artificials on the other side. And there's a question of like, at what point does humanity no longer become human um, is also a driving question. Can you, can you speak to that? Yeah, you know, in the story, as you mentioned, you have a bit of this spectrum. And um, there are these people who really don't like the idea of humans becoming more like machines and machines becoming more like humans, as you mentioned, the purists. And mm. so we might say, oh, they're anti-technology or we might look down on as like a terrorist group in the sense. Yes, I get that. But in another sense, they have a really good point that they want to embrace all that makes humans and humanity unique from machines. And they don't want those lines to be completely blurred. And so when I was writing their um, their sections of the book, I started thinking, I kind of actually believe some of this right, yeah. from their perspective. And uh, so for me, that makes it kind of more interesting than if they were just a group that you could stereotype and look mm -hmm. down or something like that. So, so yeah, it, it's um, a lot of interesting questions come up in, in the realm of this action story. Um, and I think that's what sort of sets this one a little bit apart, you know, from my other books, it's a standalone book, and so the other books have all uh, appeared in a series. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, being set in the future makes it distinctive and different as well. So it's it was really a fun book to write, and uh, I'd had the idea for this story for Synapse, you know, about a year ago, or well, about a year before I started writing it, and I was just dabbling with these ideas and. And since I think you know this, that I write organically, I don't outline or plot anything out, the story ended up going quite a bit different than I thought when I started. But, but it's been on my mind for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you said this is, this is sort of a standalone novel. Uh, that doesn't preclude you can, coming back to this universe. Because um, you've, you've created a really 
great universe, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know if you've read my review. Um, if, if you're a listener and you haven't read the review, you should go do that. Um, but I, I felt like it was a very strong story. It was a very good story. And there's such a potential for more to be said within this universe. Do you, do you feel like you'll come back to it at any point in the future? Well, I left it open at the end. I mean, uh, there's... There are some a few story threads that aren't tightly wrapped up at the very end of the story, and so I, when I wrote it, I thought, you know, let's see where this goes, and let's see if uh, if I want to end up coming back to the story again. So, so it's a possibility. I never want to say never um, because uh, I really did enjoy these characters and this story world. So we shall see what the future brings. Yeah, for sure. I think that. Um, you know, the book releases, um, well, when this podcast airs, the book will have just released. Uh, so I think that you'll be starting to see de- more demand for this universe because I know what I felt the last, you know, month, month and a half since I've read it is like, this was good. I feel like this is the beginning of something. I, I want to see more from it. Um, so I guess I congrats- congratulations on creating a really, a really great world, uh, that kind of goes along with this and really diving into the sort of the philosophical aspect of things um because this is a this is a story it's engaging it's page turning until those moments where you really have to go back and you know kind of turn the page backward and read again to say okay i need to really think through this one more time Uh, like you were saying with the with the purists you know they are presented as the enemy they are in in some aspect the villain uh, of the story but you understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And that that aspect, um, I think that's another aspect of like humanizing uh, someone. You know, we're trying to humanize the artificials. Uh, we're trying to humanize our enemies. Uh, we're trying to humanize those that we don't necessarily agree with, or at least the protagonists in the story don't necessarily agree with. Uh, there's such a tendency to, to um, demonize those on the other side, uh, so much of a ten- tendency to really... Um, not consider any part of their viewpoint because their viewpoint is different than ours. And with this story, they're still presented as like definitely the way in which they're going about um, what they're doing is wrong. But you really can't understand their plight. They're not a you know, they're not an inhuman uh, villain. They're very understandable, and I think that that adds a layer to the story as well. You know, when I write, I try to sort of enter the mind, I guess, of the character that I'm writing from and, and l- look at things from his perspective. And some people have said that the villain of a story is always the in his own mind. He's the protagonist mm-hmm. of the story or he's the yeah, hero yeah. of the story. And so I kind of get where that where, where people are coming from in that sense that the villain does does justify what he's doing. And and I think that happens with the purists in a way that we can identify with. You know, one of the challenges with writing this book was climbing inside the mind of Jordan, the robot, when I wrote his perspective for different scenes. And I thought, what would he be experiencing here as he sort of awakens to life and to understanding? And what kind of questions will he have? And so I found that that was maybe one of the most interesting aspects of writing Synapse for me was this idea of entering Jordan's mind and seeing things from his point of view. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we will end up, you know, in reality with the sort of AI that can make the sort of decisions that Jordan is making in this? Or is there sort of a hard line 
to say, you know, artificial intelligence really can't go any further than, than this. Well, it's pretty astonishing over the last decade what uh, advances have come in the realm of artificial intelligence and even what people anticipated and said this could never really happen has happened. Like, for instance, humans being beaten at this at the game of Go. Mm -hmm. uh, Go is a is a very intuitive kind of a game. And to have a machine um, come up with its own intuitive approach to Go was pretty um, pretty amazing and surprised a lot of researchers even in even in the realm of ai and um and so ai is becoming more and more uh, adapt um intuitive some in some cases um some tech companies have created an ai that will reply to um you know people through social media and so on mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. And have found that some of the responses were ones that they could never have anticipated. And in a few cases, they've even had to shut down the AIs because of the views that they started to express um, that were not the views of the programmers. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Really happening today. And who knows where things will go decades from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, uh, you got a chance to write sort of an opinion piece uh, in the New York Times, I think it was the Times. I should yeah. have, I should have looked this up. Okay, good. I got it right. Um, sort of in. Um, well, I'll, I'll just let you explain it. I'll just say it was a New York Times article. You tell me the story behind it. <laughs> well, they're actually running um, these pieces that they call um, editorials from the future, where you imagine that, say, 30 or 50 years or even more than that, years in the future, someone had written an editorial, they're publishing those. And so I thought, well, this fits in well with uh, Synapse. And so I ended up writing an article as if it were written 30 years, 40 years from now, from the perspective of a robot. So the artificial robot, or I call them, just call them artificials in my book and in the article, the um, cognizant robot, the artificial writes um, requesting that people allow robots to worship at churches. And um, so he's arguing for the fact that he thinks artificials should be allowed to worship, which is really was really fascinating to me to, again, to climb into the mind of an artificial of a robot and then try to think about what they would want. Um, see, I believe that it, we shouldn't just assume that when AI reaches sort of this pinnacle moment of, what they call artificial general intelligence or even artificial superintelligence as they pass humans up, that they won't believe in God, that, that all machines would some, somehow just be atheists when um, a lot of humans find that um, the evidence for God is overwhelming. I think a lot of machines will do the same. And so clearly they will want to respond to that, to that fact. And, um, and so how will humans respond once machines want to start worshiping at church or church services and so on it'll be fascinating to see where things go mm -hmm. yeah so is it was that something that you just like you you knew they were writing this series of articles you just pitched it and said you know i'm just writing it and sending it in or you know how did how did how did how did you get to do that well, um, one of my publicists at my publishing company had a contact with the editor of this series. And so mm -hmm. when she saw the series, she thought, oh, this might be an interesting right. fit because of Steve's new book. So, so uh, yeah, we approached her, and uh, she was really open to uh, doing the article. And uh, so it was, it was fun, to, fun to write it. 
Yeah. Yeah. What has the response been from the article? Do you you know of anything? Well, it's been interesting. I've heard from a few people who are a bit upset, you know, saying, are you saying that machines are Christians (laughs) or that machines are saved or things like that? I'm not saying anything. I'm just bringing up the questions of what will happen in the future if machines do have this ability to apprehend the truth. What will they end up believing in terms of the afterlife and and a creator and and so on? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was really fascinating. Yeah, just some of the, yeah, the yeah. That's sort of been my. For anyone that I've that I've told to read the book, I'm just like you know it doesn't come out until October. Um, go read this article, and that will that that'll make sure that you click pre-order uh, on it. Um, so I, I think it's really you know really clever marketing opportunity for you and a really interesting. Uh, I don't know what made the Times decide to run this uh, piece, but a very interesting take. Um, yeah, I've sure. gone back. I've gone back and read. I don't know all the others, but many of the others, uh, and it's been very, very interesting. Um, so for this book, um, just if if readers walk away from this and they can only take away one thing, what do you want it to be? I would say I'd like to get them to reflect on big questions. I feel like that all good uh, storytelling asks important questions. Um, a lot of stories are written every single day, clearly, and through film, through television, of course, through novels and so on. Um, and I think a lot of it is pretty easily forgettable right away. But the stories that stick with me are the ones that ask intriguing questions um, and so I guess I'm hoping the same will happen as people read Synapse, that they'll enjoy the ride because it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride of thrills and, and action. But also to end by saying, you know, these are some interesting uh, dilemmas and questions, and I think it's uh, good that we approach them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I always like to sort of end by asking a question just regarding writing, regarding the writing life. Uh, there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are writers, uh, who want to be writers, who want to be published, uh, what advice do you have for for those people that are trying to break through um, in the writing world? You know, I'd say today a lot of people are turning to self-publishing um, and they'll say, you know, I just I don't want to get rejected or I don't want to have to find an agent or editor, so I'll just self-publish. And so there's a huge glut of work out there every day being published that isn't necessarily as edited as I guess as the higher quality that we would hope for. And so I would suggest that your your listeners don't don't do that. If they have a story to tell, to really take the time to shape and craft it well, to um to tell a story that's worth telling and to do it in a way that that really resonates. I mean I've heard that there are three thousand self published books that come out per day and a lot of them just are not at the quality that uh, that they could be. So it isn't so much where someone publishes, but when. So don't publish until your story is really ready to go um, and make sure that it really shines. Yeah, all right, th- thank you for that. Uh, you mentioned sort of before we began, uh, before we began that you hope you didn't mess up and start talking about your current thing that you're writing uh, instead of Synapse. So what can you tell us about what you're writing right now? Ah, well, it's a spy novel, my first spy uh, intrigue, kind of political intrigue spy novel. And uh, so we'll see. I can't really give you too much more information, but it, it looks like it might be the start of a new series. 
All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. So, well, Stephen, thank you for uh, being on the program. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure. I know that the listeners will agree. Uh, so thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. And if people are interested in the book, of course, they can order Synapse anywhere online or at their, you know, book bookstores. I always encourage people to try ind- independent uh, small bookstores. Always, you know, frequent those if we can. And uh, if there's any questions or anything, you can reach out to me on social at Read Stephen James on Twitter and Facebook. And I always love hearing from people. Yeah. Oh, and one last thing for those of you out there um, in association with this um podcast we are going to be giving away uh some stephen james books because i had extras in my library and i've been trying to call my library anyway so um rather than uh try to sell them i want to give them away to you guys so be looking for that uh, either in a link um or within the next couple days after this podcast Hey, thanks for listening in. If you want to hear more, check the links in the post below or visit lifeisstory.com to see all the latest reviews, interviews, and giveaways.